Hey there, I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yancey and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. Take a a few minutes now to uh, consider the words of Scripture, the story of God among his people. It's been labeled the Quiet Revolution. The people of Quebec more or less walked out of the churches and never came back. Massive social change was taking place in Quebec at the time on all levels as society was being reshaped. And the exodus of the people from the churches was one of the most significant, one of the most obvious indicators of this social upheaval. Up to and throughout the 1950s, over 50%, sorry, over 90% of all Quebecers attended Mass on a weekly basis. Over 90%. But then beginning in the 60s with this quiet revolution, participation in the life of the church dropped significantly to the point that in 1986 the number was at 48% attending Mass weekly from over 90 to 48%. In 2011, that number was down to 17%. And now in 2021, that number is 4% of citizens of Quebec that participate in weekly religious services. No doubt this reality has played out in many places, and certainly we see it here in our communities as well. But nowhere in North America has it been such a stark and sudden shift as what has been seen in Quebec. And, And Philip Jenkins, a church historian, summed it up saying, in the Christian century, he said, in about a generation, one of the world's most religious societies became one of the least. Now, it's not my intention to, uh, to pick on, on Quebec, but that's, the, that's the, the place that's kind of been on my heart and mind because we recently just spent a bit of time on our vacation uh, in Montreal. Beautiful city. If you've never been to Montreal, you've got to go. Um, yeah, just beautiful, vibrant. So much to see, so much to do. Lots to taste. We thoroughly enjoyed our time in the city. One of the things I noticed, though, was the, the many, many church cathedrals. Like, it's, it's unreal. Like, it feels like every third or fourth block, there's another beautiful church building of some sort. And, of, of course, St. Joseph's Oratory, kind of a, a big, massive dome on the side of Mont Royal, towers over the city, um, kind of adding a, a framework, a religious framework to the city. The steeples rise high, almost it seems as if on every block. Beautiful architecture displaying the glory of God. These centers of community, these places that are intended with their tall steeples to point to God. A focal point that directed the people to live their lives under the authority and direction of God. And now they stand tall and glorious, these buildings, but many of them empty or nearly empty. 
As a vibrant city bustles all around them, these steeples tower above. The God who was once the center of life has been pushed to the margins. Now, of course, there are all kinds of questions we can ask. There's all kinds of dynamics to consider when we think of that shift, and even so in our society here in southwestern Ontario. But a simple conclusion, probably a little overly simplistic, is to say that God is no longer at the center of life. In our text today, we're going to be considering that idea of God being at the center of life. I confess it's not easy for me to keep God at the center of my life. And I know that as I've lived among you and as I've heard your stories, many, if not all of us, struggle with this reality, struggle with the call to keep God at the center of our lives. We want Him, many of us, most of us, want Him at the center. But our own selfish desires, the demands of daily life, of work, of relational realities, sometimes struggles, uh, the, the pursuit of our own um, pleasure, all of these things kind of get in the way, distract us, pull us away until we notice that God is over on the margins. I think that's probably across the board an experience for all of us. How many times do we go to bed at night thinking, good heavens, I barely paused today to hear from God today. How many times do we live, live minimally for God except when a crisis hits? Someone we care about has a cancer diagnosis. Oh God, I need you in this situation. We have maybe an employment transition. Oh God, I need to hear your voice here. We're troubled by maybe some of the behavior of our child. God, I need you to inter intervene in this situation. But what does it mean to have God in the good and the bad, the easy and the difficult at the center of our lives? Another confession. Sometimes as a, as a pastor in preaching, I feel like I'm sometimes saying the same things over and over again. This is not a new message that you've heard from me. This is not a new thing that I've sought to address in my own life, and, and maybe that's the nature of the Christian life, receiving these invitations time and again, receiving these calls by God time and again to place Him at the center of our lives. We've got a couple Sundays left in this teaching series that we've been on called This Journey to Freedom. We've been walking with the people of Israel, out of their exodus in Egypt, and discovering what it means to be God's community together, worshiping and serving Him, living side by side, this journey to freedom. And they're discovering they were enslaved. What does it mean to be free as God's people? And today, we see a story that called them to place God at the center. God is saying, if you want to be free, it's not a freedom to go and do as you wish it's not a freedom where you can invite me in at certain points when maybe you think you need me. This is a life. If you're truly going to be free, if you're truly going to have hope, if you're truly going to live with vibrancy and joy and purpose, this is a life with me at the center. And we see this in the development of the tabernacle. Now, many of you may be familiar with the tabernacle, and for some of you, this might be a fairly foreign concept. But in Exodus chapter 25 verses 8 to 9, shortly after we read about the Ten Commandments, God says to Moses, he says, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I show you. And then there's a number of chapters that go in great, great length about the furnishings 
about the way that the worship ought to be offered. I'm not going to dive into all that. You would be wise to read that for the sake of familiarity and understanding at your own leisure. We're not going to do that now. But God calls them to build this beautiful tent. This is a tent that Israel carried. They were nomadic, nomadic people at this time wandering in the wilderness toward the promised land. And they picked up this tent and carried it as the focal point of God's presence with them wherever they went. I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what it consisted of. First, there was a large outer courtyard fenced in by a five-foot-tall fence. In the east side, there was an altar for burnt offerings as well as a laver or a wash basin where they did ceremonial washings. The western half was the actual tabernacle. It consisted of 46 wooden plates, wooden planks, plated with gold. Now, it's important to remember, God had them create this as a thing of beauty. It wasn't simply about function. It had beauty plated with gold, beautiful artistry to display the glory of God. Over this structure with the four wooden planks were four separate coverings that hung over it to make it like a tent. In the tabernacle, there were two sections. You walked into the holy place. In that holy place was an altar of incense for worship. There was a table of showbread as well as a golden menorah or a lampstand with seven candles on it used in worship. From that place, you walked into the Holy of Holies. This was separated by a veil. The only person who could enter into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year to offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of the people. Not even Moses could walk into the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant. This was a, a, a box that God had given them in which his presence was focused among them. Now, of course, God is present through all creation. There's nowhere that God is not. And yet he had this focused presence among them with the Ark of the Covenant. He had the mercy seat on the Ark that expressed God's forgiveness. And in it, they stored the Ten Commandments on the tablets. They stored a jar with manna, as well as Aaron's rod that budded as memory points of the provision and guidance of God. So this was the Holy of Holies, and it was a pretty big deal. So that's just a snapshot. I don't know if you can visualize it. Perhaps it would be wise. I, I wish we were indoors. I could have on a screen a couple of images to help you just kind of envision what this tabernacle looked like, but perhaps you could just search up Google Images what the uh, tabernacle looked like. But this was the center of Israel's worship, where worship was offered. Most importantly, it's where the forgiveness of God for sins was offered. It was a place also that guided them in their travels. Exodus 40, verse 36, it says, In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, so it rested, there was a cloud over the tabernacle, when it lifted, the people would set out to travel. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. Can you imagine getting up every morning and be like, well, did the cloud? Okay, we're good. We can go about life. Oh, the cloud lifted. All right, we got to go not knowing how long or how far, but they followed this cloud. The cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. And so the tabernacle represented the presence of God among the people. It represented their place of worship to honor him. It represented the reception of forgiveness for their sins, and it represented God's guidance in their lives. And of course, it pointed forward to Jesus. I'm not going to spend time dwelling on this either, but John chapter 114, you'll probably remember this verse. It's one that we read often at Christmas. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
Now, interestingly, the literal wording in the original language is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tabernacle. It, does, it actually doesn't say dwell, but if we read it in our, our modern context, we're like, well, what does that mean? So they translate it as made his dwelling among us, but it literally is tabernacled among us. And it's communicating that Jesus has come to replace the tabernacle. Jesus is the one who offered the full and final sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the one who is God's presence among us, and now that's carried on by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who guides us. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Hebrews tells us he was the better priest. And then the New Testament also tells us that we, so the tabernacle was also replaced later on by the temple, a physical, um, permanent structure. And then the New Testament goes on to say when the Holy Spirit was, is within us, we are many temples. The people of God together, filled with the Holy Spirit, are the temple of God. And so the tabernacle has been replaced, but we look at it as a foreshadow of what God was going to do, and it centered the worship of the people. Now, there's lots of different directions that we could go with this, but the one thing that stood out to me, and the thing that I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to focus on this morning, was the reality that God... Um, in the tabernacle was at the center of the community. The Israelites actually arranged their shelters around the tabernacle on the four sides. Numbers chapter 2 verse 2, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, some distance from it. And so that's what they did. The four sides, you'd have a row of shelters heading to the north, a row of shelters heading to the east, a row of shelters heading to the south, and a row of of shelters heading to the west. And God, his presence and the worship of the people was in the center of that community. If you can imagine when your community life is oriented around the tabernacle, it's not something that you go off into this corner to do once a week, but every day you're reminded of the presence of God as you come back from maybe a wildly successful hunt and it's like, oh man, like we rocked it. We are good hunters. They come back to their shelter, but they come back looking at the tabernacle, and it's a reminder of the presence of God and His provision giving you that success. Maybe returning from a military battle that didn't go well, and you're wondering, good heavens, what did we do wrong? Where was God? And you walked back to your tent, and you remembered as you saw it, oh yeah, God is with us. He has carried us. He's provided for us. And as you see that cloud of His presence, maybe as you would return from drawing water at the well, and, and you received the biting words of of uh, gossip. You heard what those ladies or those men were saying about you, and it hurt. But as you walked back to your tent and you saw that tabernacle at the center of the community, you were reminded of God's faithful presence, His enduring love, and His forgiveness for sins. They had a tangible reminder at the center of the community that God was with them and at work. And what God is communicating, He's saying, for you to be free, this is not a freedom to go as you wish. To be whoever you want, to be truly free, is to be a community centered around who I am. God at the center, his presence, his forgiving mercy, his guidance, his worship. And so what, what can we learn from this? What does it mean for us to place God at the center of our lives and our community? Now, I don't think the answer is to create a community where we have a church building and we all arrange our houses all around it. I don't think that that's what God is calling us to do. Because he sent Jesus to be that tabernacle. He sent the Holy Spirit to fill us so all of us are actually the focused dwelling place of God. 
That's not what God is calling us to do. And yet I believe we can learn a lesson from the arrangement of their society. We can ask that question, what does it look like for God to be at the center of who we are? Now perhaps, you know, I mentioned just a moment ago that I don't think God's calling us to arrange it around a building. And maybe there's all kinds of angles you can look at it. Maybe that was the issue with the quiet revolution in Quebec. Maybe that was the issue in our society here with the prominence of the buildings and the worship that took place. Maybe it was because it was primarily about a building and certain rituals that you went through rather than the Holy Spirit being at work within you and through you. Maybe that's why it shifted and God actually was no longer the center. Maybe he wasn't as much of a center as he should have been even when those prominent church buildings were filled, filled to the brim. What is God asking us asking of us in order to make him the center of our lives. What does it look like to truly walk in freedom? And I don't have any concrete examples for you. I mean, we can, we can say the obvious, well, I should read my Bible every day and I should gather with God's people for worship every week and maybe I should do a, you know, a devotional time and I should talk to talk my neighbors about Jesus, like there's the obvious ones, but it looks different for everybody in terms of how we live that out. And so I, I don't have a specific vision or a concrete, this is exactly what it needs to look like for you, but what I'm asking is that you would hold that out before God and say, God, what is it, what will it look like for you to be at the center of my life? Where have I pushed you to the margins? In what ways have I only been looking to you when I need help as if you're some sort of vending machine God or the one I expect to add blessing to whatever I'm doing rather than allowing you to direct my path? What would that look like for you to make God the center? Like I said, I'm, I'm actually not going to give you concrete examples because it looks different for everyone. I want you to hold that out to God. What does it look like for you to be at the center of my life? Oftentimes, we get, we get distracted, we get discouraged, we have a lack of peace. Not always. Don't hear me saying that if you just walk with God, everything's tickety-boo. But sometimes, that's because we've been going our own way and doing our own plans, and we don't have God at the center. To ask God, what is that big step of faith that you want me to take that I just haven't even been listening for? To ask God, what is that risk? To ask God, how do you want me to begin praying for the people around me? To ask God, what is the space in my life that I had to carve out to hear your voice? To ask God, you know what, I actually have been, my priorities have been out of whack and I've got a ton of time over here, but I haven't had time to invest in maybe a Bible study or discipling kids or teaching Sunday school. Oh, here, I'm giving, I'm giving concrete examples now. I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but I invite you today and in the days to come to hold that out because that was the heart of God for the freedom of Israel, that he would be at the center of their community. Every day, no matter what happened, they saw that as a reminder, as a call into deeper freedom and joy. How is God calling you to place him, what he has done, his presence, his worship at the center of your life? I'm going to invite Alyssa and Deb to come on up and lead us in some worship music, and I'll just have a, a prayer as, as the two of you come up. Um, God, we, we want you to be at the center of our lives because we believe that you're the greatest. We believe that you've loved us so well. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would move in our hearts. 
I pray that you would stir within us a deeper hunger for your ways. Expose the idols. God, I pray that you'd expose the idols within me. The things that I long for and strive for that are apart from your will. I just pray that you'd speak to them. Maybe it's through someone around me that would speak direct words. Around us that would speak direct words. Or maybe your still small voice. And I just pray that you would give us a vision of what that looks like then for you to be at the center. That we would chase after you. Thank you that you offer freedom. Thank you that your life is good. Thank you for these people and just the wonderful things that you've done among us, through us. And we want to take another big step into that, moving you closer to the center and ultimately to the very center of our lives. We want you there, no one else, nothing else. You alone can love us and direct our path. We love you. Be our center, we pray. Amen.